be more should really fulfill her potential in all areas in her life as as a mother if she chooses to be one as a wife if she chooses to be one and also in terms of her work because it is really a creative expression welcome back to the tea with nikki we are pro tea not anti-coffee and if you'd like to use the tea as an acronym for tonic to go with your gin please help yourself Today I sat down with Fazana Badul, who is the CEO and co-founder of Curzon PR. Curzon PR help governments as well as businesses with their PR and marketing strategies. This woman is such an incredible powerhouse and feminist. She is a passionate female entrepreneur and loves to encourage other female entrepreneurs. She is the resident public relations expert at Oxford Foundry at Oxford University, as well as founding Thai Woman in London, where it is a branch where female entrepreneurs can go to network at events. We sat down and spoke about her journey from studying maths and economics to owning her own PR agency, the hardships that she had to face, and what feminine leadership means to her. We had a very tough time playing charades as well. I did not live up to my standard, which I'm very disappointed in myself by, but if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you, so I'll be better for next time. I hope that you enjoy what Fazana had to say, and she gives some tips on time management as well. So, what what led you to study economics and mathematics at university? Because obviously now you're in PR, it seems it's quite a curtail to get there. Yeah, it's quite a segue. Well, basically, so I was brought up in London and my parents are Indian Pakistani. And so what happened is, of, like most Indian Pakistani families, the parents were very much, you know, doctor, lawyer, you know, accountant. And I didn't really want to be any of them. I wanted to sort of I knew I wanted to be in business and and it was a very inspiring time because you had the dot com boom and you had a lot of young internet entrepreneurs in the news and I was very inspired by them but I kind of listened to my parents and they said you know be a doctor and so I I went to go and do work experience and I fainted on the operation sort of theater when I saw blood. So, you know, and then my mother was like, oh God, she can't even deal with blood. Well, okay, we'll be a dentist then. And so, and I couldn't think of anything less like me to be a dentist. And, but then I, I went for the, you know, sort of the dental schools and I got, a, I got an offer from them and I was predicted quite good grades. And then actually I ended up not getting the predicted grades thank God. And they rescinded the offer. They're like, you're not going to come into dental school because you didn't get the get grades that you predicted. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I thought, oh, well, you know, and then it, you just go through a clearing system in the UK where you scramble around looking for a university and, 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 yeah. and a course and ended up just sort of in mathematics and economics. And I thought, well, at least maybe the economic side is a segue into running my own business. And so that was the kind of thinking behind it. And from there, you ended up opening up your own accountancy firm as well. How did you land up doing that? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's because my, my parents are entrepreneurs and in their sort of, you know, the latter stage of their career, they set up an accounting firm. And so I spent a lot of my, you know, my weekends working in the accounting firm as well as holidays. And so then I learned how it was run. And so 
And what I realized with, you know, with the internet and with social media is I thought, well, actually I can set up my own accounting firm that would be a bit different than my father's. And I could use, you know, having a lovely website and the whole marketing side and, and the social media side. And I thought I'll also specialize in sort of uh, tax refunds because there were a lot of people from South Africa and Australia who come mm -hmm. over on four-year ancestry visas, two-year working permits. And so I used to specialize in doing tax refunds. I sort of fell into that little niche area. I set it up you know, because my sister had a lot of South African and Australian nurses that were sort of renting rooms in her sort of investment properties. And they started speaking to me saying, oh, you must be good at maths because you're studying it. Can you help me with the tax refund? And then that's how it all kind of started. And then I was recommended to all their friends. And, and then I set up a business on the back of it and took a sort of a gap year from university and then never went back. Well, starting your own business from a gap year, I think things could have gone worse for you. <laughs> And you also spent your time volunteering at the Conservative Party at a stage and the Vice Chairman for their Business Relations Forum. What was that experience like? Do you know that's when my sort of world opened up, I think, because I I had quite a sort of a limited worldview. I was brought up in the suburbs outside of London and, you know, in a you know, British Asian family. I wasn't really exposed to sort of a wide plethora of different careers. It was, you know, again, very sort of like, you know, medicine or law or, or accounting. And so I didn't even know that other jobs really existed. Yeah. And if they did, they just weren't for me. And so what happened is I was a bit annoyed with the Labour Party. They kept on bringing in changes that then ended up having a negative impact on my business. And yes. so I was really annoyed about it. So then I joined the opposition, you know, who were the Conservative Party. And I just met lots of lovely people in the party who were very kind and warm and inclusive and they sort of you know brought me into the party and found this role for me as the vice chairman for the business forum which you know sounded really grand and I was just I felt totally out of my depth and there was this you know wonderful woman who champions women in public life she's called Anne Jenkin and now she's in the House of Lords called Baroness Jenkin she did a lot to sort of help and guide me and you know build confidence and I ended up actually being really good at my role I was basically the sort of the nexus between the politicians and business and media. And it was so it was like second nature to me. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm actually effortlessly good at this. And I find it fascinating and it doesn't feel like work. It just, it, it feels like play. And I just lose myself in it. And I could do eight hours on the trot without, mm. and, and it feels like five minutes. And that's when I thought, this is really interesting. And I want to know more about it. And I want to spend the rest of my life in this world that was such an abstract concept for me public relations and reputation management because you know i was used to more sort of tangible careers yeah. like you know like medicine and or accounting or law and it just wasn't a world that ever come across before so i fell in love with it so would you say that was sort of the starting block for you that made you decide to start Curzon PR? Yeah, 100%. I think if I hadn't joined the Conservative Party, I would never have been exposed to, to public relations. And at the time, David Cameron was the leader of the party. And he, of course, previously worked in, in public relations. Public relations is really foundation for politics because you have to engage with the public in order to be elected. So it, it, it's, it's a pretty critical part. I was exposed to it and I just thought it was absolutely fascinating, the idea of um, communication communications and engaging with the public. I, I, I just thought it was this wonderful blend of advocacy, media, psychology and marketing. If you know yeah. there's a commercial um, agenda to it as well. I just thought it was a confluence of disciplines that all individually I found fascinating and together I just thought was, was definitely my future. 
I think I can definitely see some of that business influence in the Curzon PR because I know that you have a lot of business clients as opposed to brands. That's what I think also appealed to me when I saw Curzon PR is that you did a lot of business reputation management as opposed to brands, which was different take. PR is so saturated with PR agencies that only focus on brands. So that was a really nice spin on it as well. Yeah, yeah. I just realized that you have obviously you know, public relations in terms of working with government and political parties. I find that really interesting because of my background, obviously. I also find working with businesses, B2B, I, I love working with them on stakeholder engagement. And I love culture. So, you know, be it the visual arts or theater, literature, the final piece, which is the consumer part, it's just, it's just not my thing. Uh, because I just think you can't be everything to everyone and you should really yeah. focus upon where your passion is and where your strength is. So I just wanted to position the company away from being jack of all trades into actually these are the areas that we love and we care about and we want you know to do our best in. What yeah. would you say was the hardest part about starting your business? I think that I was a little bit naive because I thought that I was successful running my tax business and I thought I could translate that success into running a PR business because they both were in essence professional service firms. And what I didn't realize is actually the steep learning curve that I had to go to in order to learn about public relations, learn about the industry, learn about you know how to manage a, you know, a team of creatives as opposed to more kind of linear thinking, accounting you know professionals. And I think that took me probably about eight years. I mean, it took me yeah. a really long time and I thought, oh, I'll just figure it out in a year and it actually took me a very long time because in a way there's sort of different parts of the brain linear and, and creative and it took me a very long time to get away from being very linear and process orientated into the more creative side of strategic thinking and I wouldn't say I am a pure creative I'd say I'm a diagonal thinker so I can now engage both sides of the brain but that took me at least about eight years and I'm still you know I'll still be learning in, until my last breath I'm sure. Yeah, I think for us as women, we also forget that things take time. We're not going to get it right away. I know that we beat ourselves up so much about it and forget that, you know, there's the learning curve. So you have to learn. Yeah. Otherwise, it's never going to end up being where you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. That's very true. It's very true. Did you find mm. it difficult being a female business owner in the PR space at all? I've never ever felt um, any issue that oh because I'm a woman I can't have a business or I can't go into this type of you know sector and I think it's because I've just always had very strong role models in my family mm -hmm. you know my, my mother set up her first business I think she was about 18 or 19 she wow. set up her own school in Pakistan my aunts you know are either sort of doctors or education entrepreneurs run other schools all highly educated so I had really strong female role models from my family in Pakistan it wasn't really something that made me think a woman can't do something and also my my mother's father was a real feminist he said to his five daughters and he who are, you know, one of them is my mother said anyone can be a housewife and he didn't mean to denigrate to be a mother and to be a, a wife for me anyway I think it's, it's my highest calling but what he meant is that a woman should be more, should really fulfill her potential 
in all areas in her life as as a mother if she chooses to be one as a wife if she chooses to be one and also in terms of her work because it is really a creative expression and it doesn't matter if you're an accountant knocking out tax returns or a PR professional knocking out press releases i think work can be hugely satisfying and give us a sense of worth and a sort of trajectory for self development can you explain to us a little bit about the oxford foundry what does it entail exactly and then your role as the public relations expert so the university of oxford they decided to launch an entrepreneurship center and launched by tim cook of apple a couple of years ago and the thinking behind it was that during university it's a very sort of creative time for students instead of traditionally waiting to set up a business after their degree they wanted to create an entrepreneurial center for students while studying at oxford who had startup ideas and in order to also connect academia to entrepreneurship and in turn to investors who can back the startup there's this wonderful lady called anna bakshi who used to run the entrepreneurship center at king's college and then she moved to the, to oxford and set it up and she's been doing great work she's also set up accelerator programs for female entrepreneurs as well as working with startups pre-finance and helping them raise money and and my role is really as their resident expert in public relations and marketing so i go in and i work with the the, the entrepreneurs who are often current students or just you know left oxford and i work with them in terms of helping them understand you know the sort of um what public relations and marketing are and and how to engage with it and how to build teams and how to hire high staff and and how to set up their sort of in-house departments as they grow from fledgling sort of startup to a fully funded business with millions raised from investors so it's quite exciting because yes. they're very inspiring the students i think i learn more from them than they learn from me they all have this wonderful sense of purpose where it's not just about profit it's also about helping planet and helping people and they seem incredibly balanced and and purposeful and ethical and completely different from the generation that I was brought up in you are very clearly passionate about entrepreneurship because i know that you've also founded TIE women in london can you mm-hmm. tell me a bit more about what is that entail exactly i know it's a networking space for female entrepreneurs but how do you go about it do you have events what do you do exactly so tie is a large global entrepreneurship network that has been running for a very long time the chair of the board at the time of london is a very inspirational entrepreneur you know who i also knew on a social basis he was actually very passionate he said you know all of these networking events it's all just men and he said and i just don't know how to engage and bring women he said you know my intent is i i want women to come and join but he said i don't know where the women entrepreneurs are i did and if they if i do they don't come to the event and so myself and a lady called Radhika both of us said well why don't we just set up something called Thai women that sits within Thai and he said well what's the point and i said well i think it would just give us women a bit of a sort of a space where they can feel welcome and included mm-hmm. and also we will organize events that will be more sort of conducive to their interests as well as having speakers that aren't just men and so then he said okay and so then we basically you know did a few events i think the first one was the business of fashion and we had interesting inspiring speakers it wasn't just all women speakers you know 
we had a man on the panel as well. But it was incredible because actually the more women started joining the organization as well as obviously the attendance rocketed. But actually what was quite, quite nice is actually the men came up to us afterwards and said, you know, it's so much more insightful to have a gender balanced, you know, events program in terms of the speakers on the panel, the subjects, and as well as the audience engagement and the participation through the Q&A. So I think it actually, you know, when we're inclusive to both genders, I think it it's not just benefiting women, I think it benefits men as well. And as we've heard throughout the, the interviews that you're a very busy woman, you've got your fingers in a lot of pies. I think my big question that I'd like to ask you is how do you time manage everything? How do you balance your work, your volunteering and family as well? Because you'd said your one of your highest callings is being a wife and a mother. It's really difficult. I think there's, you know, people out there that say, oh yeah, you know, you can have it all and all of this. I find it, you know, quite exhausting at times. I drop the ball all the time. I'm not afraid to fail and say that I haven't done a good job there or, you know, or that aspect. I don't try and be perfect. I think that if you take that kind of take that pressure off you, the pressure mm -hmm. to be perfect, the pressure to, you know, look after everyone's needs but your own, I think you'll just burn out. And so I really try and focus upon myself in terms of my self-care because you can't help other people unless you're strong at your core. And so for me, you know, looking after myself is very important in terms of, you know, exercise, eating healthy, meditation, you know, having really positive, good people that I connect with around me, like my tribe. I think that sort of keeps my energy flowing that then enables me to be able to, you know, juggle the various different sort of demands of work and family. I think if you choose work that you have a passion for, then I think things flow a lot easier. And I think in terms of time management, what I just try and do is I like, give myself regular breaks because I've learned an awful lot over the years about psychology and neuroscience and how the brain works. And so I understand that actually just sitting for, you know, sort of eight hours without a break and without a walk, taking your eye off the computer is actually not very productive. So what I look for is more sort of productive routes and to work smart rather than work hard. I think in my 20s and part of my 30s, I was just a hamster and a hamster wheel, just running, 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 but not actually making much progress. And then I just decided a few years ago thinking, you know, I want to work smart rather than hard. I want to work strategically rather than tactically. I want to really think before I allocate any resources, be it time, money, energy into something to really think, is it aligned to my values? Is it aligned to what I want to achieve? You know, is it the smart thing to do? And I think as women, we often do take on more of the role at home. I don't because actually my husband's quite good like that, but I know a lot of other women who do take on more of the role. And as a consequence, they don't have time to think. And mm. when a woman doesn't have time to think, she makes the wrong decisions. And then you add in guilt and you add in low self-esteem because the culture that we live in, in, in most societies, is harsh to women. And I think as a consequence, we're set up to fail from day one. And I think it's about women having to raise their consciousness to understand that we do not live in a society that is geared for women's success. We live in a society where there is still so much left to do from you know, an equality perspective. And to understand that and to really carve out time for self-care and carve out time to think things through and not be reactive and be more sort of strategic and, and proactive. So manage your relationships so that, you know, you're not living in a world where everyone's needs matter and, you know, your needs are sort of silently kept there in, at, the, at the bottom of the pile. Just going off the back of that, obviously taking ownership and control of your own life, 
What does feminine leadership mean to you or what does it look like to you? For me, I think, you know, when you look at obviously the spectrum of being a feminine and, and, and masculine, some of the feminine qualities, I would say one of the most interesting ones that I love and self-awareness as well. So when you look at female leaders like the New Zealand Prime Minister, just, you know, Jacinda Ahern, and you see her communications with very high empathy. And I think that we're kind of moving into a world where people are looking for that from their leaders, be it their line managers or their politicians. So I think leadership with empathy is a quality that I think is a very feminine quality. I think that it is something that we are moving more towards. I think people are becoming increasingly open to working in a kind environment, living in a kind environment. I think people understand the, the repercussions on mental health. As we are becoming more conscious as a society, we are looking for leaders that are conscious of the impact of their behavior. And that lends itself to people who have empathy, who can understand people, connect with people, who you feel they, they, they understand you. And also not the sort of zero-sum game that someone's got to be a winner and someone's got to be a loser. I think collaboration, again, it's a wonderful feminine quality. You know, men as well, when you look at team sports. So I think the mixture of collaboration, teamwork, empathy, and kindness as well. I think kindness is something that, you know, it helps build relationships in business, that if you show kindness, your work trajectory is at 50 years in one industry, it will come back, it will, the kindness will circle back and embrace you. I have to agree with you on that as well with the leadership. I've been in a few industries myself and then the current company that I'm in now, just seeing our leadership and the way that they govern it, it's, it's so different and when you have someone who's compassionate, empathetic and shows kindness, you want to do better for them because you feel understood and heard. So loving this new direction of leadership, I don't like this of, you know, you have to be cold and you have to be brutal. I know you have to make tough decisions, but you don't always have to kind of be a vampire and switch off your emotions. Exactly, exactly. I think it's about bringing your whole self to work and not having to carve out different faces for different places. I think it just makes, you know, everybody more, more sure-footed. I want to move to a segment I like to call the ABCs of your career. So starting mm -hmm. with A, what was your amazing, affluent, aha moment in your career journey? God, I think it must have been, I met this wonderful Ukrainian-Israeli woman. And it was on a pitch for her friend's jewelry business. And I didn't get it, but she stayed in contact with me. She said, let's be friends. And she opened up this door to all of these clients for me, Russia, Israel, Ukraine, Azerbaijan. It was a totally different culture. And you know, she was very kind because she was very supportive for women in business. And so she was a little bit like a guardian angel for me. Didn't expect anything re returned, just wanted me to make sure that anyone I connect with through her, that I treat them well. But she opened up this entire new world that I started getting these government contracts with Ukraine and, and Israel and Russia. And nobody gave that to me before because you have to kind of get one before yeah. other people come your way, but I never managed to get one. And then you get a domino effect. So because of her, I ended up having my initial government projects. And then of course, everyone else, you know, followed and we've worked for about 15 odd different governments since. And we've got all the case studies to sort of support us now. But she was really that trigger point and she just pure kindness. And, and that really touched me because I thought, you know, here I am, a British Muslim, 
I mean, I'm not very religious, mind you, but, you know, that is my heritage. And she's a, a Ukrainian Israeli Jewish lady. And I just thought that's just so kind, you know, I, I thought just to have show that love and kindness across religion and culture and, you know, and age. And um, and it just really, I think whenever I, I come across the kindness of strangers or people who are different from me, it, it makes me really restore my faith in humanity and it makes me want to be a better person. I love that. Also touches my heart a bit hearing that because Ukraine and Israel, that's my heritage as well, both my parents. Oh. And B, what was a blunder turned to blessing moment for you? Where you thought it was a big mistake, but then it actually showed you the light. <laughs> I think my blunder was a few years ago. I was working really hard. I had an office in New York, an office in Dubai. I'd overexpanded and my, my daughter was very young and I was just really burnt out and I was unhappy and I was exhausted and on the outside it looked amazing you know on Instagram <laughs> everyone's yeah. like, oh you're doing so well oh yeah wow you know, to be so proud. <laughs> yeah yeah and inside I was just crumbling and I was miserable mm. and I was just oh and that's when I had my epiphany that I don't want to be this hamster on a hamster wheel mm. I don't want to feel like this inside I want to work smart not work hard and why am I driven by my ego and then I realized that you know I was very ego driven because of feeling some sense of insecurities inside that I needed that external validation and then I just kind of like thought right I'm just going to redo everything then I just changed my business model I became more selective in the sort of clients I work with and I started being much kinder to myself and then what kind of made that epiphany is that I lost a, ser a series of really good staff they said you're a perfectionist you're too driven they were right I was I was a nightmare so that was my epiphany I think I lost about three really good people and mm. and it was because of me my management style it was because at the core I wasn't taking care of myself which meant I wasn't able to be a good colleague it's funny how things work because I don't work as hard as I used to but I earn more I have better quality clients I've got a better quality of life I'm much happier so I think funnily enough you've got to sometimes take your foot off the accelerator in order to go further it's, it's ironic what was a cinematic comical moment for you in your career? I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to go to the Maldives. I've never been to the Maldives before. I went to the Maldives on this beautiful island. I can't talk about the client because it's an NDA, but they had this incredible extended part of you know the island with a table and it was just the most picturesque thing I've ever seen in my life. And that was where all my business meetings were. And you, and you sort of look over and there's like little baby sharks swimming and manta rays and, and whatever. And it was so surreal. And there I was working in the Maldives in the most picturesque setting. Awesome. Now we're going to move to the charades segment. Okay. I've chosen Disney and Pixar okay. movies. Because oh. of my 12-year-old daughter, I'm an expert on them. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Lion King. How many words is it? Two. Two. Jungle Book? Um. Oh, this is so. It's two oh. words, but it's kind of. The second word is like a nothing word. No, I'm stumped. <gasps> um. Monst Monsters Inc. Yes, yes, yes. Got it. Perfect. Okay, I've got one. Um. Two words. It looks like you're taking a psychedelic drug and then it's <laughs> clearly not it. Basically, in the movie, it basically could be. And then you go down, oh, oh, The Little Mermaid? No? Um, and it's three words. Yes. 
you 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 definitely heard. I'm just acting it out bad. So think like okay, okay, okay. First word. What's what's the um first word? It's not a. It's 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 not a thing. Okay, that's really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like monsters. Underwater, underground, sea, yeah. blue. So through the tunnel. Dive through the tunnel. And the underwater drinking. There's also tea involved. Is tea involved? I'm so sorry. It's like a big grin. <laughs> Finding Nemo? No? No. It's no. How do you act it out? So hard. I can't give it away if I say... It's, it's like a known film, right? Very well known. You go down the tunnel. Alice in Wonderland? Yes! <laughs> oh my God! That's a tough one, huh? Right, this one's easy. Okay. One word. Pinocchio. Perfetto. <laughs> okay, I've also got one. This one's quite hard. So, why do I keep getting the hard ones to act out? How many? How many words? One. Sorry. One. Okay. And it's so hard to act out. <laughs> Hold on. No, that's cheating. I have the stuffed toy of it. I don't. I don't. I don't know if I can act it out. It's like. A dog sewing? Uh, superhero? You might as well just give me the name. A superhero dog. Yeah, and a, the on his Z. There's a mark, not a Z. Like a lightning, like mm -hmm. a lightning. A lightning? Lightning strike? Lightning thunder? Lightning? Lightning dog? Um, it's one word, I so it's not lightning, but I'm saying what, there's a word that sometimes comes after lightning. Strike? Oh, lightning. So close. Thunder? <laughs> Thunder? No? Lightning? Uh, also on a, on like a screw. I, I don't know how to do it, but it's so close with lightning, because then you can say it's a lightning bolt. There we go. Oh, okay. God, I haven't seen that film. Now, I like to wrap up the interviews with uh, just a quick fire round of questions. So, okay. so, quickly just answer what comes off the top of your head. Are you a morning person or evening person? I am an evening person. Two books that changed your life. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie and the Canadian professor Jordan Peterson at 12 Rules of Life. Three people you would like to have dinner with. I would like to have dinner with Jordan Peterson, Noah Harari, and my grandfather who passed away. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Favorite genre of music? I like R&B. Thank you. for taking the time to talk to me and I hope that you have a wonderful Saturday. And next time in London, hopefully I can come see you. Yes. Space, I would love that. Virus passes over and everyone can be safe and healthy once more. I'd just like to take a moment again to thank Fulzana for taking the time to speak to me. I love having international guests, Sonia, as mentioned in the interview itself as well, that opening your heart to different cultures across countries, nations, religions, it just opens yourself up to opportunities and just so much of life. 
what I think that we can definitely take as a lesson from someone who runs a global enterprise, that it is important to work smart, but then also to take time for yourself. Self-care is important as burnout is a reality. And being a hamster on the wheel is not a pretty sight. Work smart because you can end up making more money by doing that as opposed to just burning out. Thank you.